Oh, I've been looking forward to this since yesterday, talking to Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. You know why, Vaughn? Because it's our favorite topic, right? Yes, Simi, you know, I'm second to none as a fan of the village people. But for this morning, I'm going with MC Hammer because it's hammer time in (laughs) Surrey. (laughs) You know, I didn't have that on my card for today about you quoting MC Hammer on the show. Well, you know, back when the New Democrats brought in the new changes to the Police Act and said, we're going to push forward with the policing transition to the new standalone Surrey Police Force in Surrey, and it's going to happen, the legislation included a clause at the end that basically said, you know what, if this thing doesn't work out and we don't get going on this soon, the provincial government can step in replace the police board out there, sideline the mayor, and appoint an administrator to complete the process. Uh, That raised the hammer. (laughs) And yesterday, Mike Farnworth brought it down. He got rid of the police board out in Surrey, sidelined it. The mayor chairs the police board. She no longer has a role. And the administrator is now Mike Farnworth's hand-picked overseer, Mike Sear, the uh, former police chief in Abbotsford, Mm. retired now, and he's taking charge. Uh, He's got it. He will be in charge. The mayor and the police board have nothing more to do with it. And by the way, Simi, he's in place for 18 months. So this process is not completed yet, but from now on, it is the provincial government's show. Oh, boy. Okay. So what were the reasons given for this? Well, you know, the first thing is, um, Farmer said it, he, a while ago, he appointed the former head of the provincial public service, Jessica McDonald. She was the head of the public service under Gordon Campbell, and he appointed her, Farmer did, as his on-site strategic advisor. According to Farmer, McDonald reported back that it just wasn't happening out there. They are foot dragging in Surrey. The mayor had no enthusiasm for this at all, and she never made any doubt about that, that she was still not supportive of the idea of going or sticking with the Surrey Police Service. She wanted to go back to the RCMP, and it was just dragging on and on and on. And so Farmer said the advice he got was step in, take charge, and do it. The looming deadline on this was the 30th of November. The budget has to be finalized for policing services in Surrey. The people out there are paying for two police services. So it had to be finalized by November the 30th. And that was the decision. Now's the time to step in. Interesting, Simi, I would notice that this week, Premier David Eby complained as well that the province has been asking the federal government for months Can you please clarify what is the future of the RCMP as a provider of local policing services in Canada? And EB said it is incredibly frustrating. The province still hasn't gotten an answer on that. Uh, There are still reports that the RCMP is short of officers and so forth. So I think, you know, that was kind of the last straw as well. But the main driver here, Simi, was... Time is running out on the budget. Mm -hmm. Nothing is happening out there at the speed it needs to happen. And so farmers said, you know, I'm not blaming the police board for this. I mean, come on. 
he knows, we all know. The obstacle is Brenda Locke and her council majority. Uh, there is no police board anymore, at least not for 18 months or up to 18 months. And the mayor chairs the board, but there's nothing left for her to chair. I just want to add a little, as you mentioned it just briefly there, that Globe and Mail story today about the fact that the RCMP is short 1,000 officers. That is a huge number, and they have been short this for years, it said. Yeah, you know, and you know what we're going to hear back, that, oh, well, you know, Surrey Policing Services is having trouble attracting officers too, and I'm sure they are. One of the reasons being that, you know, the way things have been going out there, nobody who signed up with the Surrey Policing Services could be 100% sure they were going to be working for the police force out there or collecting severance when the council reversed direction and the council was still dragging its feet. So, you know, uh, I guess, I mean, for the provincial government, the the result here is Brenda Locke is finally out of the picture. You know, there is a potential silver lining in all this for Brenda Locke. And she was pretty angry yesterday. And Farmer said he talked to her and it was a polite conversation, but her press release was, you know, the government is coming in and taking charge. Um, the one thing that Brenda Locke can take away from this is whatever it costs to complete the transition, whatever happens with taxes in Surrey to pay for all this, however much of it is covered by the province and the rest of it has to be picked up by Surrey ratepayers. The one thing she can say in all honesty is when the bills come in, don't look at me. I didn't do this. Right. Talk to Mike Farmworth and a Mike Farmworth's appointee on this. This, this one of the main them. reasons this has taken so long, Simi, is because the province didn't really want to wear the cost of this transition. Right. Now they will. And we'll talk more about Surrey policing later when we have Mike Farnworth join us on the show. But also interesting weekend for the NDP, Vaughn. Yeah, they're uh, in convention in the Capitol, uh, convening today. The Young New Democrats and the Women's Caucus meet. Uh, starting this morning, and then the full convention convenes this evening in Victoria Convention Center. Uh, Policy debates, uh, the Premier speaks on Saturday. National leader Jagmeet Singh speaks on Sunday, and they wrap up. This is the first time New Democrats have met together in person since before the pandemic. Uh, They had a virtual convention during the pandemic, so big deal, and... uh, by uh, it so happens, Saturday is also the anniversary of David Eby taking the oath of office as Premier of British Columbia. So I expect you'll have something to say about that in his speech Saturday to the delegates. Yes, because it's been a very interesting year, hasn't it? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. And I did this yesterday to go back to the coverage when Eby took over. And a year ago, and there were and there were doubts in the NDP. The, some people in the party didn't think that David Eby had the personable, poly, outgoing, populist gift of the gab that John Horgan had, and they wondered if he could sustain uh, their momentum. Uh, there were New Democrats who tried to persuade Ravi Kalan to run for the leadership. He ruled it out, and they'd had that bitter leadership fight where the party itself squelched a bid by activist Angelia Paterai to run for the leadership, and they'd frozen her out. So, you know, there was an open question as to whether or not EB uh, could maintain the momentum or maintain the standing that the party had 
of being electable under John Horgan, well, a year later, you know, New Democrats can look at the polls. They all say pretty much the same thing. Whatever you think of what EB's done and hasn't done, he's pretty much hung on to the lead that he inherited from John Horgan. If a provincial election were called tomorrow, there's not much doubt that it would be another term for the NDP. That's interesting because you may remember there was a lot of people, me included, who thought maybe EB should call a snap election. Ride the wave he inherited from John Horgan, uh, catch the opposition off guard. He chose not to do that. And he's vindicated because the opposition today is more divided than it was when he took over. The NDP is united. It's the opposition that's split in a whole bunch of ways. That's a big change, right? Because it'll be interesting, I guess, to hear some of the scuttlebutt uh, going on around the convention as people are talking. Well, yeah, I, uh, you know, I think we'll be looking around. I mean, last time they met in Victoria, they did have protests uh, back then, it was the BCTF that was angry with the New Democrats. Uh, I am sure there will be some security at this convention over a concern that the crowd that's been protesting around the province uh, about in, in support of the Palestinians show up. I don't think there'll be much of a presence from unhappy New Democrats. As I said, I think the party dealt with that split when they disallowed a patterized candidacy a year ago. And I mean, if you're a New Democrat, what's not to like? You've got still holding the lead in the opinion polls after hmm, you're in many years now in office, uh, starting in 2017. And you look over at the opposition, BC United. I mean, New Democrats, I'm sure, have heard it because most of us have heard it. A lot of grumbling in the opposition about how badly it has gone under Kevin Falcon. Uh, The name change has not clicked, partly because the party doesn't have enough money to pay for a proper rebranding. Falcon forced John Rustad out of the then BC Liberal Caucus, and that precipitated the rise of the BC Conservatives. I mean, look, it isn't surprising, you know, the New Democrats... I talked to a new Democrat about this the other day, and he said, you know, we went through this in the 1990s. I know what's going on in the opposition. And of course, they're talking about leadership change privately. They're not saying anything publicly. And the mere thought of the idea, I'm sure, infuriates Kevin Falcon, but it's real. It's out there. And of course, when a political party is in the position the party formerly known as the BC Liberals is in, Yeah, there's loose talk in the party about leadership change before the next election. And again, New Democrats have to take enormous satisfaction looking at that. When your opponents are divided and fighting among themselves, the government can do its best to just continue on course. It's interesting that conservatives, BC conservatives, seem to have a little bit of money anyway, because I've I've been getting robocalls at my house. Yeah, the Conservatives, well, they started from nothing, so I'm sure they're able to raise money. But, you know, uh, the opposition parties in this province, um, the New Democrats had in place some ability to raise direct from their supporters and members because the federal party had been doing that since the 1970s. The opposition in the province, particularly the BC Liberals and the Socrates before them, they were addicted to the giant checks that were being written by business community and single backers and all that. 
you know, $50,000 at a dinner with Christy Clark and all that sort of thing. So uh, the one of the biggest things that the Horgan government did to its opposition was they ended the days of big money in politics. And I think if you look at uh, the fundraising out there, the New Democrats are still raising about two bucks for every dollar raised by BC United. The opposition still hasn't adjusted to the end of the days of big money in politics. They still haven't done what, you know, you could point to Pierre Polyev federally. Uh, they haven't done that thing where you get uh, small contributions mm-hmm. relatively from many, many people and end up with a big budget because uh, Polyev does not lack for money uh, up against Justin Trudeau. That is very true. All right. Thank you for that, Vaughn. Bye-bye, Simi. Have a good weekend. That is Vaughn Palmer there from the Vancouver Sun.